We're going to finish up this joy series as we go through the book of Philippians. This will be the last Sunday. I'm going to give you some practical tools that you can use, and I think it's going to be amazing. Paul gets to Philippians chapter 4, and he's talking to them about the importance of joy, having joy in their life. He's writing it from prison, and he's talking about the joy he has in them. And he's not talking about how it stinks to be in prison. And he's not talking about how rough his life is. He's actually encouraging these people that are free while he's chained. That takes some serious faith, doesn't it? To be like, I'm all chained up, but you go for it. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm hoping that you do well. And so that's what he's writing here. And so when we get to Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, He just gives some real practical stuff. And so this morning, we're going to kind of keep this practical. But in Philippians 4, 5 through 8, he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so there, right at the end, he just kind of admonishes them. He says, listen, this is what you need to be thinking about. This is where your mind should be. Your mind should be thinking about things that are praiseworthy, that are admirable, that are noble. That's where, that's where your mind should be. That's, that's how your thought life should be. But he starts off with these passages and he says, he says that it should be evident, right? He says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. This last Friday, my wife went with a group of you ladies to the Women of Joy conference and so I had the night to myself I was a bachelor, not really, I had two boys, but, and so I called up Richard Harvey, and I said, okay, buddy, where are we, uh, let's go out to eat, and let's go eat someplace, and so we went out to eat, and we got to talking, and he says, you know, he said, I, I said, where do you want to go, and he, he's like, you know, I don't know, and so we got to talking, and I said, well, how about a barbecue place, and he's like, that would be great. Because my family doesn't like barbecue. And I'm like, what? Are they communists? I mean, what? Who doesn't like barbecue? And he goes, no, I I, I never get barbecue. When we go to a barbecue place, they get chicken nuggets. I'm like, do they even put barbecue on their chicken nuggets? No. What? I said, all right, we're going to barbecue. And so, you know, we pick a place to go eat barbecue. And as we're sitting there, we're talking about places that we have to go eat at when our wives are not with us. Right? And so one of the places that I have to go eat when my wife is not with me is King Eros on the west side of Anderson. Ah, (laughs) some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I I can't bring it home. I can't put it in the fridge. Because if you've ever eaten at King Eros and gotten the Eros platter, you know that they give you so much meat. You can't, yes, you cannot possibly eat it all. 
Some of you even just raised your hand like, hallelujah. Wow, this is a real spiritual moment. I had no idea. They give you so much meat that you can't eat it all. And they never give you enough pita bread. And I think that's on purpose. So you have to go buy more pita bread. But that's just a marketing thing. But the reason that I have to sleep on the couch after I've eaten King Eros is because it's evident that I've been near the lamb on the spit. And Lynn says, I, I, want, I learned this early in our marriage. I brought home from King Eros. I was out with the guys and I brought it and put it in the fridge. And she says, what is that smell? I'm like, I don't, I had, I had no clue. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like looking through the trash. Is there something in the trash? I'm looking through all the trash cans in the house. I'm, I'm like, she's like, oh, it smells like something's rotten and dead. I'm like in the crawl space. I don't know what the smell is. Then she opens the fridge. Oh, right. When you go somewhere, the smell gets on your clothes. It gets on you. You know, one of my, one of my offices is a coffee shop and it's, I pulled out my laptop and I sat it on the desk at home, and Isaiah goes, that stinks. It smells like coffee. And some of you are like, that does not stink. It's evident that when you're around something, other people notice. Do you know what I'm saying? You, you, they notice. And they may like it, and they may not like it. That doesn't matter. But the point is, you were around it. And Paul says that it should be evident that you've been around Jesus. It should be evident that you're near Jesus. And some people aren't going to like the smell of Jesus on you. They're just not. They're going to like the smell of the Jesus holding the sheep, right, in the stained glass window and be a nice Jesus. But they're not going to like the Jesus who says, okay, now it's time to straighten your life out. Some people aren't going to like the smell of Jesus on you. You've got to be okay with that. But he says that you should be gentle, now, this is an interesting comment in regards to anxiety. Because anxiety is not a gentle thing at all. And he says, if you're going to overcome, he says, he says we need to be near Jesus and gentle. And then he says, don't be anxious. Don't you like it when somebody just says, don't be, and you're like, I, <laughs> but I can't help it. Somebody posted on Facebook the other day about why you can't tell somebody who's anxious, just don't be anxious. I'm like, well, the Bible says don't be anxious. And if the Bible says don't be and you are, well, then something's out of alignment. But just like anything else in Scripture, when he says don't, then he gives you instructions on how not to be. He says don't be anxious and then he gives you instructions. Do you know what the old English word for anxious, the word anxious actually comes from an old English word that means to strangle, to suffocate the life from. And if you think about what anxiety does to the mind, it suffocates the mind. It strangles the thought life. It strangles the mind. And so what Paul says is you need to be near Jesus and be gentle. And don't allow your mind to be strangled by all of these other things. Right? 
when I'm eating eros, right, and then I have to come home and quickly put my clothes in the laundry, in the, in the washing machine, right, the thought of Wendy's down the road and getting a Frosty is not strangling my mind at that moment because I'm so engrossed in eating my hero. Well, the same is true in life. If I'm so engrossed in Jesus and what Jesus wants for me, and I'm near to Jesus and I'm focusing on the things that Jesus would have me to do, it becomes much harder for my mind to be strangled by the ideas of everything else that needs to be going on and everything else that needs to get done. Because I'm so engrossed in Christ. It should be obvious that, to others that we're near Jesus. So he tells us, don't be anxious. But he says instead, he says, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. There's your practical answers, three things, three practical answers to anxiety from a spiritual viewpoint. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. I'll say it one more time. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Now we're spending the rest of the sermon talking about those three things. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Prayer involves a lot of different things. When you look at the Lord's Prayer, they said, Master, Jesus, teach us how we should pray. And Jesus says, you should pray like this. Jesus gives you an example, a model. He didn't say, pray this prayer. He didn't say, okay, now pray the Lord's Prayer. He said, here's a model of a prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What's he starting his prayer out with? Worship. You are holy. You're set apart. There is nothing like you. I can go no place else other than you. You are totally set apart. And this idea of being holy and set apart is, this, is the same idea in marriage. When you say, I do, in your engagement, what you're saying is, is, you are set apart from everything else, and I don't want any other women or I don't want any other men in my life. I want you. I'm setting you apart. You are holy to me, and I don't want to do anything to break that. It's the same is true with God. God, you are holy. I want nothing else to be God to me. I don't want to worship anything else. I don't want to give my life or my devotion or my mind or my time or anything else than other, uh, other than to you. You are holy to me. Just like you look at your spouse and go, you are holy. Now, you probably don't. When's the last time you looked at your spouse and go, you're holy, right? You'd be like, what, you're talking about my genes? What are you talking about, right? You, you don't think about that about your spouse, but essentially that's true. Your spouse is set apart from all the others. And so Jesus says, when you look to God, you say, you're holy, you're set apart from anything else I could worship or give my time or money or effort to. You are it. And that's what holy means, to be completely set apart. Give us each day our daily bread, calling upon God. Those are two basic elements of prayer, worship and calling on God. Now, I could, die, I could dissect, and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on the Lord's Prayer, but I just want to pull those two points out. It's worship, and it's calling upon God at a very basic level, very basic level. In fact, Jesus, when he's teaching on prayer in Luke 11, in Luke 11, 
verses 5 through 10. We're just going to kind of dissect this just a little bit. Luke 11, 5 through 10, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, again, now he's, he's teaching on prayer. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so he's teaching on prayer and he says, you have a friend that comes to you at mid- You have a friend that stops at midnight at your house and says, listen, I'm on a journey. I need some food. Can I stop here and get some food? Sure. Stop. You go to your pantry, and you're like, oh, snap, I don't have anything. So you go to your next-door neighbor, to your friend, and you say, hey, I've got a friend who's on a journey. He stopped. I need some bread. I need some food for my friend. And he's like, dude, it's like 1230. We're all in bed. Come back in the morning. And he says, what? Because of your audacity, I love it. He says, because of your shameless audacity to keep... I need food. Go away. I need food. Food. He says, will he not eventually get out of bed and go, okay, just shut up. Take the food. That's what Jesus said. Essentially, that's what he said. He said, yeah, you're friends, but if you keep at it, he'll eventually just get out of bed and give you what, give you, what you need. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What I want to know is if there's anybody in here that's ready to pray some audacious prayers and their shameless, audacious prayers and say, God, unless you come through, I have nothing. I'm fully reliant on you. I need you to do something. I need you to do something in this relationship. I need you to do something with my job. I need you to do something. The problem is is we become so self-reliant that we just pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you're going to keep me safe on the way to work. But nobody's praying anything audacious because we've gotten comfortable. We don't even know how to pray audacious and big and bold because we're afraid that if I pray it and God doesn't come through, then I'm left hanging. But that's not faith. That's doubt. And then we wonder why we don't grow spiritually. God, I'm believing for a promotion. I'm believing for a raise. God, I'm believing that one day my child's going to grow up and know more about you and follow you closer than I ever have or ever will. I'm believing for something bigger than what I can even imagine. Shameless, audacious faith that says, I don't care what the world says, and I don't care what the media says, and I don't care what the school system teaches. I know this, and I'm praying for this. Because I believe in the truth of this. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Right? I can go into the chicken coop and get some eggs. I'm in the chicken coop, but I'm not of the chicken coop. Right? Unless you see me running around my yard. Right? And eggs start popping out 
from behind me. You see what I'm saying? I can be in the chicken coop, but I'm not of the chicken coop. And God says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. My kids are in the world, but they're not of the world. I don't expect them to act like the rest of the world. I don't expect them to behave or think or do anything else like the rest of the world. And so my audacious, shameless prayer is that, God, thank you for these born-again, Bible-believing children that are going to go against the current of this world, and people are going to look at them like they're strange, and they don't care. That's our job. My job is not to make sure my kid has a college education. My job is to make sure that my kid gets into heaven. Because the principles of the Bible will take them further than Harvard ever will. I'm serious. I, I don't care if you ride the back of a garbage truck. It's not a bad gig. If you're loving God and serving God, that's all that matters. If you follow God, he'll take care of the rest. He promises this, us that. Problem is, we don't believe it, so you got to say, okay, you better go get yours. You better, you better figure out how to get ahead in this world. And then we're constantly cra- scratching and clawing. But notice the progress that he says in prayer in verse 9. He says, you go and you knock and you do all these things. And then in verse 9, he kind of breaks down his story. And he says, he says you can ask. You can seek, and you can knock. You know, what he, you know what he just did? He just broke down three levels of prayer. You see, if I come to you and I ask for something, hey, can I, can I have some jelly because I'm out and my kids need some jelly for their PB&J? Okay. Okay. I can ask, and you can either blow me off or give me jelly. Right? I can seek jelly. Now, seeking is kind of next level than asking, right? I can call you up, hey, you got any jelly? No? Okay. I can go seek jelly. I can go to Dollar General. I can go to the grocery store. This morning's all about food because I love jelly too. I'm sorry, all you ladies that just went to the ladies' conference and learned about eating right and stuff. Listen, I can go look for jelly. That's different than that. If I ask, I can just sit here and do nothing. But seeking involves a little bit more, doesn't it? I, I, can, I can ask God to give me a healthy body, but then sit on my chair, watch TV, and eat potato chips. Or I can start seeking a healthy body and start seeking out healthy food. Next level. And that's a little more involved. But when I get up the audacious faith to... Hey, I need this. And I physically get involved and I go to the door and say, this has got to happen. This has got to change. This can't stay the same. I'm beyond asking. I'm beyond seeking. I'm now physically involved in making my life better. Right? I can ask God, please give me a, please give me a healthy body. Bless these Cheetos I'm about to eat to the nourishment of my body. Look. You're praying for miracles at that point, right? Now, I can seek lettuce and tomatoes and and olives and healthy things. But then I got to go a step further. I got to make it a habit. I I, got to do more. And so Jesus says that 
If at first you're, you're just asking God for it and it's not coming, you need to increase your prayer life. You need to go a little bit deeper in your prayer life. You need to start seeking for it. You need to start looking for it. And if that's not happening, you need to start knocking on some doors. And believe it or not, Paul talks about that. You see, when I go knock on a door, I have an expectation that you're going to answer. Expectation is the sidekick of faith. If faith is Batman, expectation is Robin. I know it's true, and I'm expecting it. I know it's true, and I expect it. I know you're home. Don't try to, I just saw your kid run past the window. I know you're home. Answer the door. Right? God, I know you're up there. I see you working in everybody else's life. I expect you to work in my life. I'm going to pray some shameless, audacious prayers. I'm not just sitting back asking, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me home safe today. God, thank you for bringing me home safe today. And I thank you that my car, even though it's got 230,000 miles on it, it's still running. And I know that you're going to keep it going because you've got things prepared for me that I can't see yet. And I know you have a new car ready for me when this thing conks out. And I'm praying for that new car and I'm expecting it by faith because I know this one's on its last leg. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you say, God, I'm going to do a little knocking. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut back on my budget and I'm going to start setting money aside so that I've got... Money to put forward the new car. That's faith. That's knocking. I'm putting the money aside because I'm expecting the new car because this one's going to conk out. I know it. That's faith with expectation. You're putting works with your faith, setting the money back for another car. So getting back to our verse in Philippians, when he talks about with prayer, and Jesus talks about the stages of prayer, Paul then says, with prayer, petition. What is petition? Ephesians 6.18 out of the message translation says this. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in the ongoing warfare. Here's, peti- here's petition right here. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. This isn't just nice little prayer. This is, petition is like serious, intense prayer. It's prayer with tears. It's prayer with groaning. It's not just a quick two-minute, one-minute, 30-second prayer. Petition is like 20 minutes of prayer, 30 minutes minutes of prayer. It's it's getting intense in our prayer life. It's saying that prayer matters. Saying that my communication with God matters. It's getting intense. And sometimes one prayer doesn't cut it. Jesus even said you could ask, you can seek, and you can knock in your prayer life. What's your, where's your prayer life at? Are you asking, are you seeking, or are you knocking? If you're knocking, odds are you're petitioning. You're just, you keep pounding that door. You keep pounding heaven's door. God, I need an answer. I need an answer. I need an answer. And then you, ha- then you start with your faith, working your faith, and setting the money back for the car, doing whatever it is you need to do to prepare yourself for when God's ready to answer your prayer, you're ready to roll. You put faith and expectation together with your prayer. That's petition. So Paul says, don't be anxious. Pray. And if the anxiety continues and persists, start petitioning. Start petitioning God. And then he says something enormously huge. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The mind cannot be thankful and anxious at the same time. Psychologically, it's impossible. You cannot be anxious and thankful at the same time. He says, pray, 
petition and begin to be thankful. Now, you're not going to feel like being thankful when you're anxious. You're not going to feel it. But remember what I said a few weeks ago. We don't feel our way into believing. We believe our way into feeling. You don't feel your way into believing. You'll never get there. You believe your way into feeling. And the reason you feel the way you feel is because of a belief that you're holding. And that belief is causing you to feel the way you feel. So you got to change your belief. And if you're feeling like, oh, I'm going to change my belief. I just need to wait till my feelings change. They won't. You direct your feelings and say, I'm choosing to believe this even though I feel like this. And over time, your feelings will begin to change. So when you're anxious, you have to be intentional about being thankful. So one of the things that I do when I coach people that are that's struggling with anxiety, one of the things that I tell them to do is get a thankfulness journal. I don't care if it's, it's, if it's a, a tablet from a store or if it's a fancy journal that you buy at a bookstore, but you get a thankfulness journal, and every morning you get up and you write three things that you're thankful for every morning. I'm thankful for a wife that loves me. I'm thankful, and, and I tell them it can be as simple as I'm thankful that there's water coming out of my faucet. Because I've been to third world countries, and I can tell you when you watch, when you watch a person walk five miles with a five-gallon bucket on their head full of dirty, wormy, bacteria-infested water, and they're ecstatic because they just have water. Yeah, and you know what goes through your mind? Oh, my gosh, they're going to have bacteria, and they're going to have worms, and they're going to have all But they don't care. They got water. And they're ecstatic. Right? They're thankful. So just write down, I'm thankful I have running water, and it's clean, and I'm not going to get any bacteria from it. Man, you guys got real quiet. You, we have so much to be thankful for, you could spend every second of every day and never, never complete it. And if you don't believe me, go to a third world country on a mission trip. You have no idea. When you're driving down the side of the road and they don't want to deal, I'm going to get real serious here for a minute, okay? When you go to a third world country and their religion, specifically voodoo, does not allow you to touch a body for three days after it's dead, and you're just driving down the road and there's bodies on the side of the road because their religion says don't touch it, you begin to get real appreciative of our Christian faith that says the body is just a shell. The real person has moved on. You see, because in voodoo, the person's still there in the body trying to get out, and so you don't want to touch it. It gets real serious when you start looking at the things that we've been blessed with. And so, one of the things that I love about my oldest son is his ability to keep things in perspective. Like, we'll be watching a commercial, and he'll be like, yeah, but. I'm like, good point. <laughs> you ever, as a parent, have that moment where your kid just puts you in check? Right? We're watching about somebody bought this $250,000 supercar, and it's so cool. I'm like, Man, that'd be awesome. He's like, yeah, but dad. Okay, you're right. <laughs> You see, 
a thankfulness journal, your mind cannot be anxious and be thankful at the same time. You must decide what you're going to do with your thought life. And so when I tell people keep a thankfulness journal, then you write down everything. It could be a big thing or a little thing. And then one of the other things with that thankfulness journal is you do it in the morning. Then you do it at night before you go to bed. And you go to bed thinking about the things that you're grateful for. You write that out. And when you start to get anxious and you start to get nervous, you pull that thing out and go, wait a minute. But I have all this to be thankful for. One of the other practical things that you can do, one of the other things that I coach people when I'm coaching them through how to, through what's called emotional intelligence, is something that I, something that I like to use. It's a tool. It's called the mood elevator. Now, you can Google this later. I wasn't able to get a Google uh, mood elevator up here on the screen, but a mood elevator just simply says, okay, here are all the various moods, and an attitude of gratitude is at the top, and at the very bottom of that elevator is depression. So you go from depression to anger and hostility, stressed out, burned out, self-righteous, judgmental, and you go all the way up, and, and ground floor in the mood elevator is curiosity and interest, ground level, right? And then as you go from the ground level, you go up to being flexible and adaptive, you have a sense of humor, until you get to the peak of the mood elevator, and that's wisdom, insight, and gratitude. And so what happens is, is we all, our, our mood elevators go up and down and up and down. At, you know, we ride multiple floors every day. I would encourage you, you can look up mood elevator. It was um, created by Larry Sin. Last name is S-E-N-N. And so one of the things that I do when I coach people on emotional, emotional intelligence is this. Ask yourself if you're depressed or maybe you're feeling defensive or insecure why am I feeling this way? What happened that has caused me to feel this way? Get curious as to why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Get curious about that. Well, I feel this way because they said such and such about my friend. Okay, but why am I feeling this way? Not about what they did, why, because of what they did, why am I internally feeling this way? Do I have a feeling or something? The reason I'm feeling this way is likely because they've done something or said something that has hit my belief system. And I'm struggling with it. So I have to ask myself, okay, emotionally, why am I feeling this way? And begin to get curious and begin to dissect your feelings and why am I feeling this way? So then once you're at ground level... Right? Once you're at ground level, the very next step is to become adaptive and flexible. Okay, I'm adaptive, I'm flexible. That makes sense. You start to find the humor in it, and your mood elevator starts to go back up. Now, this may happen within five minutes. It might happen within a day. It might take two days to process. Depends on the severity of the event and severity of what was said, how hard it hits you, etc. Sometimes we have to stop. Stop, hit the pause button and go, okay, what's wrong with me? What, what's going on here? Self-examination time, etc. So he says, prayer, 
prayer, you prayed about it, still anxious, still nervous, begin to petition God. And at the same time as you're petitioning God and spending extra time in prayer and really crying out to God in worship and in praise and in prayer, I begin to find ways to be thankful. And I begin to examine my own heart in this petition prayer phase. And I begin to look at myself and figure out what's going on. Why am I feeling this way? Right? Because then he says, and don't be anxious, do these things. And then the peace of God will rule your heart. Don't be anxious. You begin to do these things, and then you will begin to get the peace of God about your situation and the peace of God in your mind and in your thoughts. Don't expect the peace of God just to suddenly just overwhelm you and envelop you. He says, no, you do your part. God will come in and... I think so many times we just want God, just God, just do it. Just do it for me so I don't have to do anything. Now, I have kids, and some of you have kids, and... I can tell you that if I just do everything my kids want all the time, there's two words they become, spoiled brat. If you just give your kid everything all the time, everything they ever want, then when they become adults, what do they expect? Anytime I ask for something, I'm going to get it, and I just should get it because that's who I am, right? Sometimes you have to tell your kids no. God's not raising spoiled brats. He's trying to raise citizens of heaven, that are able to go against the grain of the world and have the spiritual maturity and the spiritual wherewithal to go, nope, that's not right, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to trust then that God's peace will begin to flood my heart. Because what's he say? He says, well, the peace of God will transcend understanding. People will look at you and go, I don't get how you can have peace in this mess. I don't get how you can have peace with everything that's going on in your life. I don't understand where that peace is coming from. And guess what? You're now a living witness and a testimony to say, it's only by the grace of God that I can think and do and act this with all of this going on. It all, everything points back to God. All of it, always. He says, because then the peace of God that transcends Human understanding will guard your heart and mind. To guard, if, if I'm guarding something, it means I'm preventing things from happening. A goalie guards the net. He prevents the puck or the ball going through. He guards it. He prevents it. says, nope, that's not coming in. Nope, that's not coming in. And Paul says, if you, if you want to block out anxiousness of getting into the net of your heart, then start doing these things, and the peace of God will begin to block stuff. But you've got to get in the routine of it. We've got to get to that point. Here's, here's what I can tell you in closing. Peace is not problem-free. It's anxiety-free. Peace is not problem-free. You you're going to have problems. But it is anxiety-free, saying, okay, you know what? I'm not going to stress this. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to begin to be, look at the things that I can be thankful for because I have so much to be thankful for. That's what we need to be doing. That's where we should be. That's where God calls us to is that level of, of peace that says, I know you think I should be running around at Mach 5 with my hair on fire, but I'm really not because God's got this, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to prayer, petition, believe, trust God. 
So, anybody else ready to go there with me? Yes. Yes. Then we have to start praying like it. We have to start petitioning God like it. We have to begin to keep a journal or write down things that we're thankful for every day and just identify those things and and be okay with that. And then... As you grow in that, the peace of God will begin to block stuff out, will begin to block stuff for you. I know it's true in my own life. The more I'm in prayer and petition with God, and the more that I'm with God, the more stuff in my life gets blocked out. My mind, my, my thought life is much better, much better when I'm in this, doing this, because then God steps in and goes, no. Right? Let's invite God to be the, the goalie of our heart, if you will. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up. I know that as we, as we wrap this up, this has been a lot of information in this series on, on joy and, and anxiety. And I believe that God's going to do some amazing things in this uh, through this series in your life. One of the things that we're going to take on here in, in two weeks, we're starting a, a new series right after Labor Day weekend. And it's all about your job. Why you get up, why you go. Believe it or not, your job is sacred. I don't care if you're printing t-shirts or if you're enforcing the law or if you're in a courtroom or if you're sweeping a hallway out of school. Every job is sacred. And we're going to look into that. Your job isn't just some income to keep the family, food on the family's table. It's far more than that. So when you go, oh, what am I going to my job? I got to do this. No, it's, it's way beyond that. It's way beyond that. Work is sacred. Will you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to you when we're anxious, to be thankful and grateful for things that, Man, we just, we just take for granted. We just overlook. Lord, I ask that as we close out with song today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, as we open up the front for prayer for anybody that maybe is battling with anxiety or battling with issues or struggling, God, I ask that you would just pull that from their heart. And Lord, as they step into your word and step into prayer and step closer to you, that the peace that passes all understanding would begin to guard their heart and be the goalie of their heart to keep things out. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.